Before I get started on today's Mordcast, I'd like to talk to you about Carefree Cuisine. Um, look, a lot of restaurants are closing. A lot of restaurants are uh, closing shop for at least several weeks. And um, maybe it's time that we go with a place that can deliver something to you, or at the very least, you can come in and pick up. It's a place called Carefree Cuisine. They're located in off of Bowles in Littleton, um, and they and in the Columbine Shopping Center, and they are... They are one of the best places in town. You can get uh, freezer to microwave to table meals. All big meals, all satisfying meals, and all tasty meals with vegan options and soon-to-be high-protein, low-carb options for you and your family. So you don't have to worry about preparing meals. You know, you can just stock your freezer full of this stuff, uh, and it's all really tasty. And you can just enjoy that without having to worry about going to the store and getting a whole bunch of ingredients that will be gone in a week. Um, and it's, it's, will satisfy, they're big, they're tasty, and they're an unbelievably great company that's free of a sterile kitchen that's free of the top eight allergens, particularly if you have food sensitivity, this is the place for you. Um, and you know, let's like, it's free of nuts, you know, uh, shellfish, things like that. Uh, it's, it's soy. It's one of those places that is sensitive to all your dietary needs and is really tasty. So once again, Carefree Cuisine at carefreecuisine.com. They're on Twitter at Cuisine Carefree. Uh, or you can contact at PG Money, uh, at Pat Guerin for more information uh, on this. And hopefully, you know, like I said, this can get you through whatever is going on with this pandemic. And we, we hopefully can get through this. And Cuisine, Carefree Cuisine is there to help. Once again, carefreecuisine.com at Cuisine Carefree on Twitter. When you go there, exclusive discount for CSG and Mortcast listeners, 10 meals for $99, which is 25% discount, exclusive to CSG Podcast. Go in and get that deal for you and your family. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, today we are going to talk about a top five list that I put on Twitter a couple days ago, and it was, uh, you know, kind of was more controversial than I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was my top five favorite nuggets, um, and I think people confuse favorite with best. Um, that's not the case here. I have personal favorites, um, and my personal favorites aren't necessarily someone else's. Uh, a lot of people were upset that I didn't have anyone in the modern era as my favorite player. Um, a lot of people were upset that players that weren't necessarily the best were on my list. And so I've decided to give this list and give my time in reverse order from five to one. Um, and kind of give you my explanation of why <clears throat> each person is on this list. And I think that you'll understand what I mean because there's, there's longtime Nuggets fans who don't have the same favorites as newer Nuggets fans do. <clears throat> it's just, it's different. And if you've been following the team as long as I have, over 30 years, um, you'll, you'll understand why I think this way. So without further ado, here is Jeff's top five favorite Nuggets players. And I'll go with number five, which is Michael Adams. Yes, Michael Adams. Wasn't on the team very long. Uh, uh, he was there from 87 to 91. And uh, <clears throat> hit a lot of uh, three-pointers in an era 
that didn't really emphasize the three-point shot. Um, now, the, the late 80s was a transition into the physical 90s. Um, my friend Andy Feinstein will say that, and I, I tend to agree with him, that the 87-88 season was probably the best actual year in NBA basketball history. Uh, there were 23 teams pre-expansion, and every team seemed to have a star. And it was the most talent dispersed we've probably ever seen in the league. And uh, the playoffs played out that way. Hell, you had the Denver Nuggets, who were really, by 1987-88, on their last legs um, of the Mo era. Um, the next two years were kind of a uh, play out the string of the English era uh, teams. But Michael Adams came here in 1987, and he was tiny, tiny, and he was often paired with Fat Lever. He would hit a bunch of three-point shots. Uh, Michael Adams was one of the first of these, I wouldn't call him a specialist, but he had a unique, he shot a lot of threes. Uh, and he played really fast, and it was really great for the Mo system. Um, Michael Adams, I wouldn't describe him as ahead of his time. Honestly, he was an anomaly. The way Michael Adams played, um, he was so tiny, uh, but I, he was also just neat to watch, uh, particularly on the Paul Westhead year that he played, where he was the leading scorer of the Nuggets. Um, he, it was just, it's that suited him just fine. Um, but even under Mo, and I think his best moment, I'll be honest with you, uh, Michael Adams' best moment came in 1988, uh, where the Nuggets went into late the L.A. late in the year. I believe it was in March. And they beat the Los Angeles Lakers on a three-point shot by Michael, Michael Adams at the end of the game um, in L.A. And uh, it was his peak, as far as I'm concerned, that was his defining moment as a Denver Nuggets player. He um, uh, That team specifically, um, ended up winning 54 games and ended up being the, the, of the NBA era until 19, until 2009 was the most wins, uh, anyone had accumulated in Nuggets history in the NBA side. Of course, they won over 60 games a couple times in the, uh, in the ABA years. But yeah, yeah, that was, uh, Michael Adams. Uh, he, he hit these shots. He was tiny. He had an unusual shot. It's more like a shot put, that which was his shot. And the, the shot putting aspect of his shot made it really unusual. And he would pull up, uh, do the above the break three-point shots. And those things were just invaluable, absolutely invaluable to a Nuggets team that really surprised a lot of people and won 54 games in 1987-88. Uh, and were a fat lever, of course, injury away from advancing to the Western Conference Finals in uh, 1988 in those playoffs. Um, and who knows what, ha- what would have happened against those Lakers teams. That Some people consider the 88 Lakers their best team. Some people consider the 85 Lakers the best of the Magic teams. But, uh, you know, it's up for debate. Uh, but, yeah, and that Nuggets team gave the Lakers fits. Absolutely. I believe the Nuggets, it was a 3-1 series um, lead for the Nuggets during the regular season that year uh, because they did steal a game in in L.A. So, look, Michael Adams, three-point shooter in the late 80s, uh, anomaly, but still great. Number four for me is Mello. Now, I, I, 
I think we need some context here. And I think there's a lot of old-time Nuggets fans who are actually very fond of Carmelo Anthony. Uh, and it is primarily due to the fact that Melo um, revived a team that had been awful for so long. Basically, starting in the 95-96 season, the Nuggets went into a prolonged tailspin all the way to 2003 that was just uh, almost unbearable to watch with some exceptions. And I'll go over that in a bit. Um, but Mello came in in 2003 and, and instantly revived the team. Now, we say that this 2003-2004 Nuggets team that ended up going to the playoffs, improving the uh, their win record from 17-43, to 43, uh, which was a huge, huge advancement, obviously. Um, that, that, that team benefited from having Andre Miller on it, you know, Marcus Camby, uh, you know, Nene... Uh, you know, all these players that, um, you know, contributed mightily towards the Nuggets team being good. Um, problem was, none of that happens without Mello. Mello was the gravity that brought everyone up. Mello was the star. And I've pointed this out on many different podcasts I've done about Carmelo Anthony, but uh, it, he, he, the credit he gets for that 2003-2004 Nuggets team almost isn't enough. Um, you know, and I think in time, people will learn to appreciate what Melo did more than they do now. Uh, because if you, even almost 10 years later, uh, feelings are still raw in Denver about what happened with Melo. Um, but in 2003, we're talking, you know, 17 years ago, Carmelo Anthony came in and revived a moribund and laughingstock Nuggets team. 17 wins the year before, 21 wins the year before that. Um, this t- this team just like was rudderless, talent almost bereft of talent, uh, and had suffered through bad owner after bad owner after just it was just bad. It was not. Denver was the, literally the Siberia of the NBA. No one wanted to come here. Uh, and finally, finally, the Nuggets were able to have a ship that was righted and pointed in, into, you know, really in the right direction. And I think that Mellow, without Mellow, that just doesn't happen, folks. Let's let's face it. Um, now, we could argue whether the Nuggets should have said taking Dwayne Wade instead or, you know, any of these other players that were out in that tremendous 2003 NBA draft. But Carmelo Anthony and his gravity, considering, like, look, Carmelo Anthony was coming off winning a national championship, and he had a high, high, high-profile name. That really went a long way to restoring the Nuggets. And, you know, he was a good player. He was immediately a good player, which is what the Nuggets needed. And now the Nuggets were able to go into the rest of that decade and just have the confidence and really go through one of the best stretches of basketball they've had since the 80s. And that is almost exclusively due to Carmelo Anthony. And for that alone, he will forever be listed in one of my favorite Denver Nuggets players. And I think there will be a time when people will reassess Carmelo Anthony and understand his impact on this team and understand his impact on this franchise. And regardless of whether what we think about how he left Denver, uh, how he came to Denver was a boon. Uh, 
And uh, it really, really did revive this horrible, horrible lagging franchise and pulled it out of the mud. And without him, say they take Darko Milicic, does this happen? I don't think so. History changed with Carmelo Anthony. And for that, he'll always be one of my favorite Nuggets players. Number three is Antonio McDice. Along with another player on my list, one of the greatest what-ifs in Denver Nuggets history. Uh, we, If you remember my... Uh, I know your history on the Antonio McDice uh, reacquisition in uh, 1999 or 98. Um, you will know that um, McDice was McDice was someone who was on the ascendancy and had been for four solid years. And most of those were the were with the Nuggets. He kind of took a leap. He had two years with the Nuggets, kind of took a small leap with the Phoenix Suns, but he was never the featured player with the Suns. They had Rex Chapman, they had Jason Kidd, you know, and and he wasn't what he became when he came back to Denver. And the three healthy years he had with the Nuggets um, when he came back in 1999 were extraordinary, and each year he got better. Each subsequent year, Antonio McGuice got better. He didn't have an all-star personality, but McDice had a um, the talent. And I'll never forget, and uh, Nate Timmons, my cohort on CSG, um, he and I talked about this. When he came back from Phoenix, uh, suddenly uh, McDice was using a turnaround baseline jumper which became deadly, absolutely deadly, and it really opened things up for him. Not only was he athletic, can block every shot on the planet and can dunk the, you know, the thunderous, thunderous dunks every time, um, but he also, by that point, developed a little bit of an outside game, which started to flourish. And there's a, you know, there was a game in 99, I think, where he scored 51, 50, something like over 50 points against the Vancouver Grizzlies. He was great. He was absolutely just a a a, a athletic freak who probably in a position where he wasn't the feature guy, maybe was a number two guy, would have been better off. Um, when he was paired with Nick Van Exel, uh, obviously those two flourished, but they he needed a true number one guard. Um, and by that point, Act Van Exel was volatile to the point where he was, he was always inconsistent, but, uh, with the Nuggets, he was extremely inconsistent. Uh, and you know, McDye, uh, excuse me, Van Exel's right up there with, uh, one of, I'm fondly remember Nuggets for me. Um, but there was just with, um, McDice, he needed a, a true dynamic scoring guard to pair with him. Uh, and he needed to be the guy that really kind of, he averaged, I think, in two, two, the year 2000, 2000, 2001, he averaged 20 points and 12 rebounds. I mean, I think until until Carmelo Anthony came, no one had averaged 20 points a game for the Nuggets. Oh, well, maybe maybe someone else did in 97, so never mind. But um, it was just, it became, McDice was a sight to behold. 
an absolute sight to behold. And when he first came to the Nuggets, I didn't like him. Um, I knew that one of the reasons that Bernie Bickerstaff moved to get him, you know, trading, uh, I believe it was Rodney Rogers and Brian Williams, I think, to the Clippers, if I remember correctly. The reason he did that was because Lafonso Ellis uh, injured his knee and um, in 95, excuse me, in 94 offseason. And um, that was one of the reasons that uh, Bickerstaff moved up to get him, which, you know, in hindsight, look, he had to do that. But over time, even through those two years, paired with Jalen Rose and and uh, all that stuff, the Nuggets um, with McDice, they just it was kind of a squandered opportunity. He was so good, uh, so dynamic. Just I uh, just tell everyone to watch a a a uh, um, a mixtape of uh, of a uh, mixed highlight of Antonio McDice on YouTube if you can find it. And it's just it's a sight to behold. It's absolutely. It's absolutely stunning how good he was, and I'm really at this point, I'm, I'm seriously wondering how, what would happen in Nuggets history if he doesn't get injured at the end. I mean, people forget this. There's two things that happened to Antonio McDyess. He injures himself at the end of the 2000-2001 season, which kind of derailed the Nuggets' end of that season. They were playoff, right on the verge of the playoffs. McDyess goes down, and they just they burn out the rest of that season. 2001, 2002, 10 games in, you could argue he came back too early um and he basically it, 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 the implication is that his patella was going and then it was gone. 10 games in, boom, ruptured his patella and that started 2 years, well, about two and a half years worth of injuries that that cost him and he didn't really begin to revive himself as a role player until he got to the Detroit Pistons in 2004. It was, it was, or excuse me, 2005. Uh, Big Dice was just not the same. And it was largely due to two injuries he had in at the end of one year and the beginning of another, which completely derailed his career. And that is the part of the Nuggets power forward curse. The dude was not only just a genuinely nice human being, but he was also just a super, super talented player. And Nuggets who are in the know, who are fans through the dark ages, uh, will always forever fondly remember Antonio McDice. Before I continue on with the rest of the podcast, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown, Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, they, like Carefree Cuisine, are, well, yeah, they got a 20% off deal on uh, bottles of wine that you can order. 20% off is pretty amazing. Um, so you can get one of their you know, great Pinots, you could get with that, that 2017 Fire Cabernet, which is my personal favorite. Um, they've got a Riesling from a Western Slope uh, vineyard. They've got, you know, rosés, whites. It's just, it's it's the whole thing. 20% off. Uh, so you can have it delivered or you can go pick it up. Okay? They do have curbside uh, pickup. So if you are sitting at home thinking, you know, I really want some good wine, go to Blanchard Family Wines. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. 
Um, they just get, they have a place where you can order on their website specifically and have these things delivered to you. Take advantage of it now. 20% off is a hell of a deal for wine, uh, Blanchard family wines on Facebook and Instagram. Um, they are located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in the beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block for pickup. But I would go to BlanchardFamilyWines.com, go down, order your wine. Um, if you don't want to leave, have it delivered. 20% off all bottles of wine. And when you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. Number two for me is Alex English. Let me give you a little bit of backstory on Alex English. And, and when we are all formed by how we started to love the game. Um, and I think this is something that people who are analytically inclined tend to miss. We are formed by the era with which we first loved basketball. Um, I, the late 80s. Particularly 1987-88, I was formed by a love of Alex English. Um, Alex English was, um, he was never a star in a traditional sense. He was a star in the talent sense and a star in the statistic sense, but he was extremely quiet. And outside of doing a really terrible movie called Amazing Grace and Chuck, in the same year, by the way, it came out in 1988, um... Aside from that, he just, he was not a player who craved attention. Um, and it had nothing to do with where he played. It just had everything to do with English's personality. He was not, he would prefer to write poetry. And um, he wasn't a guy that was going to go seek the spotlight like, you know, stars were becoming in the late 80s in the NBA. It was not his MO, but he was Denver's star, and we loved him. And English was, uh, by 87, 88, he was actually at the tail end of his career. Um, and that was, I believe, 87, 88 would have been his 11th or 12th season in the league. And But he still managed to be great. And that really, you could say 87, 88 was the last great year English had. Well, that is really the year I began obsessively following basketball. I was 10 years old, and it was my passion. I would sit on my couch and greedily look up um, statistics for English and find him in the, in the Denver Post every morning. I'd find what Alex did. It didn't matter to me what the Nuggets were doing, so to speak, but what Alex English was doing, I would greedily, i just look it up, like, oh my God, what did, what did English do today? What did he do? Okay. Um, and I would be disappointed if he didn't score 20 points, which was rare. Um, and it was, it was great. And you got to see a lot of great games from English in that year. Well, even before that, in the 85 season, English was a scoring machine and his gravity really lifted this Denver Nuggets team. And, you know, we talk about it now. There are people who look down on scoring. And I, and if you listen to Adam Marez's uh, podcast with um, uh, George Carl, he talks about how you need to be an all around player now. Um, it's kind of true, but you still need scores. And, 
English wouldn't fit in today's era because he was exclusively a mid-range shooter. Um, and obviously we know what's happened to mid-range in the NBA anymore. Um, but he was perfect for the 80s, and he was perfect for the fast-breaking the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and I think that part is underrated. He was the perfect player for the perfect system. Coming in, playing for Doug Moe. Moe used English in the best way he could, and English lifted the Denver Nuggets. It was a symbiotic relationship that really was culminated in two, three great seasons. The 86 season was another good season for the Denver Nuggets, um, and should have gone farther. They kind of fell off against, uh, in game six of the 1986 um, semifinals against the Houston Rockets, um, in an epic game, game six is a tremendous game. Uh, he, I, it's on YouTube. I suggest that you find it. Our buddy Al Albert is, uh, doing the play by play of that game. Seek it out. It's really good. Uh, English, I think had 47 in that game <laughs> in the playoffs, but the nuggets from that point on, uh, from about 86 on, you know, they got to 86, 87. They weren't very good. In fact, they were terrible. They won 30-something games and still made the playoffs. In 1987, 88, they won 54 games with a super, the two seed in the conference. And we're heading for good things until Fat Lever got injured. And he had been battling injuries all year. And by the time they got to the second round against the uh, Dallas Mavericks, they needed a... Um, kind of a game-saving finger roll layup from Bill Hanslick to salvage a second win in Dallas, and then they just fell apart the rest of the series and ended up for Dallas Mavericks going to the conference finals. The Rolando Blackman, you know, Derek Harper, um, (laughs) Roy Tarpley, um, Dallas Mavericks. But English was that guy. And in 1989, I went to a game with my stepfather. Uh, it was the first year of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, and 88-89, and it was the second half of the year. And obviously, the Timberwolves were a terrible team that year. And their their coach was Bill Musselman, and his strategy for compensating for the lack of talent was doing just ringing every second he could out of this 24-second clock. And it was just a sludge to watch. <laughs> but uh, I, I managed to get down, and uh, uh, they were giving away mini balls. They gave away 10,000 uh, blue, uh, yeah, um, blue, gold, and white uh, mini balls. And uh, I got down to courtside uh, where the Nuggets were uh, uh, warming up. Jeez, I couldn't think of that word for some reason. <laughs> and uh, I said, Mr. English, could you sign my ball as he was walk- walking by? And uh, sure enough, he reached down and uh, got a pen. And I didn't have a Sharpie with me. And so he aggressively drew in English on it, <laughs> which was great. And uh, that, that ball somewhere. I think my mom has it in a possession is probably flattened like you would not believe at this point. But, uh, and then I used it to, you know, dribble in my, uh, my bedroom as I was listening to Nuggets games. Um, but he signed my ball and it was great. It was a great moment. It was a great memory. In fact, that year I also had, uh, Dan Reeves also signed a piece of paper for my mom, for me, 
I got a couple of autographs that year, and I don't know what happened to either of them. Anyway, uh, it was a great moment, and it was nice to have English take that time out, even though he wasn't known for it as a guy who would go out of his way to do that. Uh, it was nice of him to do that, and I appreciated it, and it always stuck with me. And he will always, forever, forever be one of my favorite Denver Nuggets players. Number one, I think you guys all know, if you've ever listened to this podcast, you all know who my favorite Nuggets player of all time is. Um, and it's because this he was the heart and soul of my favorite ever Nuggets team. Lafonso Ellis was drafted in 1992, and I actually was a little disappointed. I, I, the Nuggets in 92 were, I believe they had the f- fifth pick that year, fourth or fifth pick. Um, they had won 24 games the year before, and um, it's just, you know, that was the Shaquille O'Neal draft. <laughs> <clears throat> the Shaquille O'Neal draft. And the year before, they had drafted Dikembe Mutombo. And, uh, excuse me, I'm going to get a drink. Talking myself into a hoarse voice. And uh, that Nuggets team um, in 92 was one of my favorite Nuggets. And once again, you know, <clears throat> Nate, Nate, Andy and I don't agree with, agree on a ton of things. But he and I both agree on the best ever league year in NBA history is 1987-88. And the best, one of our favorite Nuggets teams is the 92-93 Nuggets team. The fun Nuggets team that uh, surprised everyone and won 36 games after winning 24 the year before. Um, they were a terrible road team. Um, <laughs> like Nuggets teams tended to be through the 80s and stuff like that. But that he, they were a terrible road team, but they were really good at home. And that's the team that where Chris Jackson had a uh, half-court shot to meet the Clippers that year. And uh, that's the year where uh, Chris Jackson also shot a three-point shot um, to beat the Phoenix Suns, who eventually were, went to the NBA Finals uh, in, uh, at the final regular season game. And I'll never forget it. I was in junior high school. And I'll never forget talking to my friends about that game the next day and all of us being 100% certain that the Nuggets were going to the playoffs the next year and they were they were going to kick ass. A lot of that had to do with Lafonso Ellis. Lafonso Ellis was so infectious. There was, there was something vibrant about Lafonso Ellis that you couldn't ignore, you know, and he got better and better in his in his first two seasons. It was it was an example of a player who probably in, fit the 90s better than he did and could any other era. But Fonz was more about the way his his effect on his fellow Nuggets players, his effect on that team, his gregarious I mean, if anyone saw Lafonso well smile, you'd smile too. It's one of those things. And it was, I'll, I'll never forget it, um, there was a dunk that he did in the game against the Clippers where the, where Chris Jackson beat, beat him with a uh, half-court shot. And I believe it was the second half. Yes, it was the second half. He goes down for an amazing dunk, and he does one of the, he used to do these things where he'd hang on the rim, and he would just kind of move, his his body would move along. And he dunked. And I think he need 
uh, Stanley Roberts right in the face. <laughs> Just right in the face. <laughs> but it was, I was like, oh my God, look at that. And that um, was when the games were on uh, Channel 2 and Prime Sports Network, I believe. And I believe that game was on Channel 2. In fact, I know it was. Uh, and uh, Al Albert and Walt, Walter Davis were on the call on that one. But that was a moment where it's like, oh, <laughs> so he was cool. And and the Nuggets never had anyone cool. Uh, I mean, through, you got to understand something. Through the 80s, for the Nuggets, no one ever dunked the ball. Alex English hated dunking the ball. Um, then they drafted Jerome Lane in 1988, uh, Pete Babcock did, and the legend is that he just drafted him because he broke the backboard. Send it in, Jerome. Send it in. <laughs> and, but you know, he didn't end up doing much in of anything in the pros. But that was a that was he was a guy that would like inf- just lift you up, and he would lift up the fans too. And I had one of my prized possessions was I had a shirt my grandmother gave me when I was a teenager. That was uh, twenty number twenty, Lafonso Ellis. It wasn't a jersey; it was a shirt, and I wore the hell out of that shirt in the playoffs when the, in ninety four. Absolutely, every single game I wore that shirt, and I was obsessively, and I do mean obsessively, uh, watching every game. And Lafonso Ellis was just my spirit animal, and it's just—it's not a. I'm not going to point you to any statistics here. I'm just going to tell you that he was my favorite. And because of that, I just, and it was largely due to Lafonso Ellis, that Nuggets team from 92 to 94 was just burned into my brain as as my favorite Nuggets team. And it comes from your formative years. And you're a teenager, 16, 17 years old. Um, you are, you get, you have your moments of when you watch the games and, and you come of age at a certain time. When I came of age, that 94 Nuggets team was coming of age too. And that biggest part was Lafonso Ellis. And when he, he hurt his knee at the Highlands Ranch Rec Center in 1994, against playing pickup with Bryant Stiff, it shattered me. But I'll always have the fantastic, fantastic memories of my favorite ever player, Lafonso Ellis. And I hope that you guys who are listening to this have your favorites too. And they all have moments that are burned into your brain. And what I want you to do is at jmorton78 on Twitter, tell me your favorite players. Give me your top five favorite Nuggets players, not best, favorite Nuggets players, and tell me why. I'd love to hear from all of you. All right, everyone, thank you for joining me on this little journey down Jeff's memory lane. I will hopefully be talking to you really soon next podcast, CSG special on the movie Heat. Goodbye.